0: so we 're continuing our study this week of the uh, of the life of Saul, uh, the first king of israel not the not the person who became paul uh, and I made the point last week uh, pretty clearly, I think uh, that the author of judges and the author of Samuel, if they 're different people, they 're very, very, very clearly connecting up right there 's this uh this linkage. Between the Book of Judges and uh, the life of Saul, that becomes very, very clear if you're um, focused on the details. Um, I think, uh, I, to, just to address the the kind of big theme of the of the Old Testament, I I'm, those of you who've been in my class before have, have probably heard this, but I feel like my calling sometimes is to. Uh, Hammer people over the head with the Old Testament uh, because I just love it so much, uh, and we preach so much out of the New Testament, which of course is is far more important uh, in some ways. But I am convinced that if you cannot preach and teach the gospel out of the Old Testament, uh, then you probably don't know anything about the gospel, uh, and if you uh, you probably don't know anything about the Old Testament either. In that case, um, the recurring theme in the Old Testament, I would argue is um, that a, a man can do it. What I mean by that is this, uh, y- you find in Genesis that the, the linkage or the, the uh, relationship between God and man is sort of irrevocably, irrevocably broken, or it seems that way, right? In the garden, man sins, and then there are all these things that happen afterwards, which they break this connection between man and God, and, and man, uh, cannot reach God on his own. God is attempting to craft a solution to this problem, uh, to reach out to man and, and make them w- w- what they are meant to be, his imagers, right? Uh, and uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you have God plugging people into these roles and saving his people, right? In, in Exodus, you have Moses. And there are actually passages that we I could go back and show you, but where Moses, it says... God's hand reached out, and the hand it's talking about is Moses' hand, that they become one almost in that moment. Uh, In the the book of Judges, you have this cycle that happens 13, 14, 15 times, where each time God sends a deliverer, and that deliverer stands in the place of God and delivers the people, right? He, He completes for just a moment that relationship. But the problem is, Uh, And then we find in the person of Saul that they're going to try a different method, right? No judges anymore. We want a king, they say. Uh, And so a king is going to try to stand in the gap and complete the relationship. A man can do it, briefly. But the problem is every deliverer, um, every every messiah, because that's what the king is, every person who stands in the gap and completes the relationship uh, who makes it right for however short a time? Uh, Moses, for instance. The problem with Moses is that Moses sinned and Moses died, and Moses didn't sit with God. Right? He didn't. He did for a moment, but did not know the mind of God. If only there were a man who didn't sin and never died. Right? I mean, that's. And then you get to the New Testament and you, you understand, right, with that background, with, uh, with the people of um, the, the apostles and, and the folks who are with Jesus, who are soaked in the Old Testament, they know it backwards and forwards, uh, and they, they understand clearly what Jesus is claiming, right, that they get it, uh, and it all becomes clear to them. Uh, that's the kind of experience I want you to have as you read the Old Testament. I want you to read Christ backwards into it and think, a man can do it, and the man who can do it is Christ. The, these other guys are insufficient, but how do, they, how do they presage what Christ is and was and what he did? So with that, let, let's go uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going go to go uh, to verse 8. Uh, so what 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 we got to last week was Saul uh, who uh, is of the tribe of Benjamin uh, He comes from this little town called Gibeah, where this awful thing happened at the end of judges, which you 're supposed to remember right as a a reader. Um, he is anointed king, uh, and he seems like a bit of a putz right he 's uh, he lives about five miles away from where Samuel, who's the most significant person in, in, in Israelite history since Moses, lives. But he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't understand how the man of God works. He's like, well, do we have to pay him? Uh, and the only thing that is noteworthy about Saul uh, is that he's, he's the tallest one. Right? That's it. Um, that's all that's important. That's all that's noteworthy about him. Uh, also, he he's not very good at his job because he loses these donkeys, goes out to find them, never finds them, and they they go back to, to uh, go back to his father's house on kind of on their own. So he comes across as as not very competent. Uh, and when they uh, when Samuel uh, leads the people and they draw lots to figure out who will be king, uh, he is hiding uh, with the stuff. It says in the baggage train, uh, and they have to go get him. So not an auspicious start. Uh, In chapter 11, he uh, rescues the people of um, Jabesh Gilead from a siege by the Ammonites. So he does this, this heroic deed and is crowned in the presence of all the people. And then Samuel gives his farewell speech. And I want you to listen to this and I want you to imagine that you are Saul standing there while Samuel says this. Uh, I don't know if you guys have picked up the hint as we've read through this, but Samuel is kind of, he's kind of ticked off of, with the, the people of Israel. Uh, he feels like what they're saying is, you're not good enough, right? Um, so let's go to verse eight. Uh, and he said, this is, again, uh, Samuel's farewell speech. It says, when Jacob was coming uh, into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into, that happens in Judges, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the kingdom of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubal, that's Gideon, and Badon, and Jephthah, and Samuel, and delivered you out of, he, right, he's talking about himself, right, he's like, he also sent me, uh, and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safe. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, uh, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall rule over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Imagine you're Saul, right? (laughs) And Samuel's like, uh, you you keep sinning, you keep departing from the Lord, the Lord keeps delivering you, he keeps providing somebody to redeem you. he even provided me, and I did a good job. In the little passage before this, uh, Samuel runs a poll, and he says, "If you think I did a bad job, raise your hand." And nobody raises their hand. And he's like, "If you think I took anything from you, uh, or uh, you know, cheated you, or whatever, say so now." And they all say, "No, you didn't do that. You were a good judge." Uh, and then he, he turns to Saul, and he's like, "You sinned all this time, uh, pe- children of Israel." Um, you could have dwelt here in safety. You could have trusted the Lord, but instead you cried out for a king like all the other nations have and look at him, right? That's the, that's the tone of the thing. Look, look at this guy that I, I've, I've been forced to select out for you. Um, so a clear warning, right? Or a clear, uh, a clear message. Uh, you guys keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, departing from the Lord, serving other gods, now you have a king, he's, he's gonna handle this, I'm done. Uh, so we have that, that story, that warning, right? There's this really ominous tone to it. And the idea is that, that uh, Samuel star, starts out in a, or Saul starts out in a pit, right? He's, he starts out in a place where the people have done, done a bad thing by asking that he be their king. Um, and, and you have to think it affected him in some way. Uh, he's dense, certainly, in the text, but not that dense. Uh, he can hear what they're saying, or what, uh, uh, what Samuel's saying. So I want to, having set the stage for that, um, I, I want to go back and, and make some more connections between Judges and Sam, and Saul, because uh, I think it's important. What, 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 the, what the author of 1 Samuel is ultimately communicating to you about Saul is that he is the period of judges put into its final form. He, he's, every, every bad decision made by a judge is mirrored by something that Saul does. Every decision. Um, and so uh, it's, it's the author's way. I, I told you during the first week of this series that I, when I read Judges, it was the first time I could understand that the hand of the author was, was drawing me to make a conclusion, right? That the author, because the pattern is so clear, right? The people sin, they get oppressed, they cry out to God, God delivers them. And it happens over and over and over over, over again. It's basically the same story like 16 times. So the author is, is making a point, right? And the point he's making is, it's nothing but chaos during the time of Judges. Um. So they get to 1 Samuel and they plug Saul in. Saul is a king like all the other nations. The, the Bible almost never tells us about what people look like. Almost never, right? Because the Bible's very economical in how it describes people. Very, if, if it gives you a detail about them, it's, it is important. It tells us that Saul, is, he's tall. The only other time that it tells us in the Bible that people are tall is when it talks about the Canaanites, right? When they came into the land, Joshua and Caleb said, or the other spies said, the people in this land are giants. They're huge, right? Judges is about the Israelites becoming the Canaanites. This passage in 1 Samuel that we're reading that is um, about Saul is about the Israelites choosing to have a king who is like a Canaanite king. Right? He's tall. So uh, this first little passage is setting us up for David. right? It's saying, um, well okay, look, look, they, they, are, they became like the Canaanites uh, and now they're gonna have a Canaanite king. Let's see how that works out for them. Uh, I mean, spoiler, it, we're gonna talk about Saul's death <laughs> later on in this, in this uh, study if I don't keep rambling on, but um, it, it doesn't end well, right? It, it's not an experiment that ends well for the Israelites. They end up in the same place they always do, uh, except now David comes in, right? And, and he, uh, he fulfills the idea, that, that idea in Deuteronomy of what a king ought to be. So let, let's step back to Saul. I wanna take you to Judges 7. Because uh, there are a bunch of connecti- uh, there 's a bunch of like connective tissue between judges and first Samuel uh, that is I think interesting, but also will point you towards what the the author is trying to get at so this is uh, this is the story of Gideon, uh, which is my favorite story in the Bible. in fact, my son is named Gideon uh, if you have met him, uh, although Gideon turns out to be not such a great guy, maybe I should have studied the Maybe I should have studied the story harder uh, before I, I, I did that. But in any event, you all know this story, right? Saul, uh, the, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and tests him. Uh, or not? Does, he says, y- you're going to defeat these enemies, the Midianites. Gideon doesn't believe him and he tests the, the Lord, right? He leaves a fleece out, says, it, it, you know, you, you know the whole story. But I wanna draw you to, to this, uh, this passage in chapter, seven, in chapter seven, starting with verse one. Then Jerobal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of, of Herod so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into thine hands, or into their, their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, "Mine own hand hath saved me." Now therefore go, too, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, "Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead." And there returned to the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So there were thirty-two thousand people to start with, and God says, uh, "You need to narrow down this army. Go and ask people if they're afraid." And if they want to go home, uh, and let them go home if they want to. And he's like, who wants to go home? And 22,000 of them are like, well, you know, we're, it's, it's okay. We're going to go home. Uh, we're scared. They said, uh, And the Lord said unto Gideon, "Uh, the people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water and I will uh, try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And uh, and of whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed upon their knees to drink water. So they stuck their head in the river and drank uh, while the other guys picked up the water and kind of lapped it. Uh, the, there is scholarship that suggests that they were looking across the valley at the Midianites, like they couldn't wait to fight. So these are the 300 craziest people in Israel. Uh, it says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men, uh, that lapped, will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go, every man into his place. Uh, and I won't read the rest of the story, but y- you know it, right, from Sunday school and, and uh, your own Bible reading that uh, the ultimate result is that Gideon defeats these Midianites with just 300 men. Uh, and they, they do it in this clever way using fire and, and loud sounds. And uh, So let's go to chapter 13, 13. Uh, this is the first incident in Saul's reign. It says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Jonathan is uh, uh, Saul's son and a, a great folk hero uh, in Israel. And Jonathan smote the, the garrison of the Philistines there that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Lord hear, or let the Hebrews hear. I'm, I'm, I have my contacts in tonight, and they are messed up. I feel like I'm, I'm high on something. I'm not, but <laughs> oof, I can't read very well. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also uh, was had in a, was had an abomination with the Philistines and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. So both of those details are a lot like the story of, of Gideon. If we went back and re- read it, you would see that the Midianites are described as being like grasshoppers from multitude, like the sand on the seashore, right? Just like this army of Philistines. Uh, and the result uh, of the, the, like the, how many there are is that the children of Israel go hide themselves they did the exact same thing in the story of Gideon. They went and hid themselves in rocks and dens. In fact, that's where the, Lord, the angel of the Lord finds Gideon. Is in, uh, he's uh, in a wine press, which is like a little underground place. It says, And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him uh, trembling. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Back in, Sam, in 1 Samuel 10, 8, uh, Samuel told him uh, to, wait for 10 day, or to wait for seven days, uh, and then he would come and do a sacrifice. Uh, and that, that would empower him to go forth in the name of the Lord and to defeat his enemies. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. What, what happened? He got impatient, right? He's like, tick-tock, Samuel. I gotta get, we gotta get moving here. Everybody's scared um, and is gonna run away unless we do something now, right? So he he does this sacrifice himself. And it came to pass as, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together, gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him about 600 men. So they're not defeated. We won't uh, read on from here, but th- this recollects the Gideon story in a bunch of different ways, right? Uh, th- there's a test of faith that's happening, right? Saul tells him, wait for seven days. I'll be there. I'll do the offering, and the Lord will give you victory, uh, and he, he finds it impossible to trust God. He finds it impossible to to do what God is asking him to do. Gideon has many flaws in chapter seven of, uh, of Judges. Um, in chapter six, he tests God repeatedly with this fleece, right? But, but when God tests him, he, he, meet, he answers the call, right? He doesn't say, uh, can I have the guys who, who dunk their head in the water instead because there's a lot more of them. There's like 10,000 of them. Right, he says, okay, if you said I have to do it with 300 people, I have to do it with 300 people. Um, Saul re- refuses to take that step, right? That step of, of um, believing that God will provide the, means of, the, the impossible means of victory. Uh, and it's not a coincidence here that, that there are 600 men. How, how many did Gideon have? 300. Saul had twice as many, uh, and yet he couldn't wait Right? He, he couldn't structure his life so that he, uh, he met God on God's terms. Instead, he said, I'm going to have a kingship that's conducted under my, I'm going to worship you, but it's going to be in the way that I desire. It's going to be in the way that I want to connect with you. Uh, right? he, he's treating God um, like an equal partner in their relationship, uh, and nothing could be further from the truth. Right. Remember, in Deuteronomy, the whole purpose of the king is to meditate uh, on the Torah uh, and to to display it to the people. Uh, And here he has completely failed to do that. Uh, And Samuel tells him, uh, "Bro, you messed up. Right? Like, uh, God was going to establish your kingdom forever, but now He's not." So, uh, second point here. Right. Saul is living his life in the shadow of these judges and what they did. Uh, I want to take you to Judges eleven thirty to 31. Uh, this is, we don't teach this one at Sunday school much. It's Jephthah, uh, who is um, hard to describe, but he's a judge of Israel who's uh, half-Israelite. And it's the same story always in Judges, right? You have this cycle um, and they cry out and the, the judge that, that God delivers to them is Jephthah and he is, um, he's kind of, the they've kicked him out, uh, like, like they already kicked him out a long time ago. He's living up in the hills with this group of bandits uh, that he runs. So he's kind of like a mafioso or a, um, he's a rough man for sure. Um, and he, uh, there's, we won't read the whole account but he he basically needs to fight the Ammonites Uh, and in verse 11 or chapter 11 verse 30 let's start at verse 29 says then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over unto the children of Ammon so he's going to fight him it says and Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, "If thou, without if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, uh, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering." So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he smote them from Aror even till thou come to Minnith, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So he defeats them. Verse thirty-four, and Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. Uh, And then uh, we we read later um, that uh, he did according to his vow. Now you will read all kinds of scholarship and hear all kinds of messages um, that say that uh, somehow Jephthah got out of his vow, like his, his daughter went to serve the Lord in the temple, which we know happened occasionally, or you know she uh, dedicated herself to a, a life without children or something similar. It's all hogwash. He killed her. It's, he promised he was going to kill her and he said I can't go back on on uh, on what the Lord told me to do or what I I told the Lord I would do and then he did it. It says that right in the text. I don't see any way we can get around it. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? He's an idiot. But also um, but also uh he he did not write Remember, the pattern of Judges is not just that the cycle happens. It's that it's a spiral that goes downwards, right? Each judge is worse than, and blinder than the last. He doesn't even know what kind of God he worships, right? That, that this, is a, this is a practice that, that you would do for a God that the Canaanites worship, and the Israelites are becoming Canaanites in the book of Judges. So he made a vow, and he, and he satisfied it. Let's turn back, and you say, "What does this have to do with Saul? Let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah uh, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitob, uh, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli. This is a, a heck of a group of names there. Um, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over under the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other Senna. The forefront of the one was situate northward uh, over against Michmash and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man uh, that bare his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us for there is no restraint. Uh, There is, hang on, I'm sorry. So uh, we won't read the rest of that but basically he sneaks in and they kill all these Philistines. It's awesome. It's a great story. Uh, We're not gonna read it but it's very exciting. Uh, okay, let's go to verse 24 uh, of this same chapter. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. Uh, the, the key point here is that Jonathan is gone. Right? Jonathan's away and nobody knows it. And all they uh, of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to mouth, uh, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened." Then answered one of the people and said, uh, thy father straightly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, my father pray hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened because I tasted a little of this honey. I feel better because I ate, right? <laughs> That's what he, I'm gonna be able to fight better because I ate, I'm not starving like, like all of you other losers, right? How, come, how much more, if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found? For had there not been uh, now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines, we could all fight better if we were eating, he says. And they smote the Philistines that day from Micmash to, to Agelon, and the people were very faint, because they hadn't eaten. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord, in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourself among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat. And sin not against the Lord, in eating with the blood. So they were eating these animals raw. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Uh, then said the priest, let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand, into the hand of Israel? But he answered him not that day. So... Um, yeah, let's continue to read. Uh, 38, and Saul said, draw ye hither all the chief of the people and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. Do you, do you see what's happening? The The author is shaping a story, right? He's not, he doesn't say, this is just like J- uh, Japheth, right? He He doesn't say that. But he says, right, he's setting this up where, Saul makes this stupid oath, right? Nobody can eat. I'll kill anybody that eats, right? And now he's redoubling it. He's saying, even if my son ate, if something's wrong and God hasn't answered me, uh, If I, I'm gonna find the person who did this and even if it's my son, I'll kill him. Uh, for as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Then said he unto all Israel, be on one side and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, do what seemeth good unto thee. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, cast lots between uh, me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. So uh, you get what's happening kind of mechanically here he says, who did this sin that caused the Lord not to answer me about whether I should attack the Philistines? He says, even if it's my son, I'll kill him. Then he says, well, hang on. Let, I'll stand here with Jonathan and let's cast lots. Or like, I I imagine like the thing that comes with the board games where you spin it and the little arrow goes around. And they do that, right? And it, it points at Saul and Jonathan. And he's like, oh no, one of us is, you guys can go. Uh, let's, well, we're going to spin this thing between the two of us and they do it and it, it lands on Jonathan because right? he ate uh, then Saul said to Jonathan tell me what thou hast done and Jonathan told him and said I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand and lo I must die because right? now he understands what his father promised and Saul answered God do so and more also for thou shalt surely die Jonathan and the people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? Right, he went and attacked all these Philistines and got this whole thing started. Um, God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the, God, so the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. Then Saul went up from following the Philistines, uh, and the Philistines went to their own place. So the author here is right, he's setting up another comparison you're supposed to say, um, well, Jephthah uh, at least was effective, right? He didn't understand the God he worshiped. He didn't understand what he was supposed to do, but he saved the Israelites, right? God, God enabled him to do that. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Saul, on the other hand, he, he makes the same kind of stupid oaths, right? But is completely ineffective, right? Not, not only does he not understand the God, he, God's not going to be pleased if he kills his son, but he doesn't even, he's not even able to effectuate his promise. He's not, able, he's not even able to do it. So he's, he's standing in the shadow of these judges and falling short, even of the tainted example that they give. He's worse than the judges. He's the judges made into one person. So uh, one more point along these lines and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Gosh, I don't know if I can get to it. Um, so look, I have two more points, but I'll skip to the last one. We're going to talk about Samson. And I only have a minor point here. Uh, So, Judges 16, 17 to 19. And you all know uh, the story of Samson, certainly, uh, who continually failed God uh, as a judge, right? He was like this violent sex addict who... uh, you know, repeatedly failed God in a number of ways, uh, and defeated the Philistines, uh, who are perpetual enemy of a perpetual enemy of, uh, a perpetual enemy, uh, of uh, the Israelites. But um, he he did so while kind of sating his own lust, pursuing women, including Delilah, who ultimately betrayed him. And at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, he's captured by the Philistines, right? This great enemy, uh, and in Chapter 16, verse 17, uh, we find him, yeah, uh, actually I don't want, yeah, I do want to read that. Um, so this is when he's, when he's caught. It says, then he told her all his heart, he tells Delilah all his heart, and said unto her, there hath not come a, head upon, a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Let's skip down to verse 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, our God hath delivered Samson our enemy Into our And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport. And they set him between the pillars, and they mocked him. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me, that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, Uh, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. So I also want to take you back to Judges 9 very quickly. Um, uh, And we won't read this whole story. Uh, This is a fellow named Abimelech who's kind of an anti-judge. He is... Um, he tries to have himself crowned king uh, and does for a, a short period of time reign as something like a king of some of the tribes of Israel and he's, he's a real bad guy. Uh, but I want to show you this in, in chapter nine, verse 50. Uh, he's besieging a city called Thebes. It says, but there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and gat them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Anybody know how, how, what a millstone looks like? You ever seen those? They weigh about five or six hundred pounds. So <laughs> just shoves it off the edge and it hits him in the head. Uh, then he called hastily uh, unto the young man, his armor-bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me a woman slew him. Got him. Uh, and his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. And you say, well, what, what do these two things have to do with Samuel? Turn to First Samuel 31. Or what do they have to do with Saul. This is the account of Saul's death. Verse one. Now the Philistines fought against Israel and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. Kill me so that they can't make fun of me. Like they made fun of Samson, right? Kill me so that they, I, I won't be humiliated when they say who killed me. Like Abimelech, right? The, it's just an echo, right? It, it, it echoes from one book to another and it... it it, it, to the careful reader right to somebody who's steeped and soaked in these books over the course of his life it makes you think wonder what he's getting at what he's getting at is that Saul is the worst of all the he, he's he takes on the worst aspects of all the judges it is not having a king that's the answer it's having the right kind of king that's the answer So let's continue here. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, So his armor bearer uh, uh, is not able to complete. He's like, oh, I'm scared. And he runs away. Uh, And uh, Saul kills himself. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men, that same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side of Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And we won't read on, but they uh, they abuse uh, the bodies of Saul and his uh, his sons. Um. Interestingly, David uh, David writes a song about Saul that is entirely positive, uh, which we'll talk about David and Saul a little bit next week. Uh, and I, I really want to highlight next week the difference, right? Because I just said a king isn't the answer, but David was. Uh, why? Like, what's the difference between David and Saul that makes David um, better than him? Because as we discussed in the first week, right, it's certainly not how they behave. David has all kinds of problems. His family's a mess. He, uh, he's an adulterer and a murderer. And it make, makes you say, as a reader, I, w- I wonder what the, the difference is between these two men. Why, why did God call David a man after his own heart? And Saul is relegated to this kind of a, a failure, a kingship that was a failure to launch.